Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here back for another home game. Remind me again to never do the bookend events out of pocket. You know, I, when I scheduled Tim Pool's show, they wanted to get booked well in advance. So they knew when I was coming and I wanted to pick a date that I didn't think would interfere with any of the movie stuff, you know, going on at all. But it would be late enough that, you know, it'd be closer to that stuff. And so I just picked Monday the 20th because I could fly in Sunday. It's a day off already, right? Totally forgot that I had booked a speaking engagement for like a year in advance the following weekend, which was a great time with great salt of the earth people. I mean, last week was a ton of fun. Met a lot of cool people, got a lot of great feedback about the show. But man, doing the bookend travel thing, just... Kind of runs you ragged a little bit on top of also remind me never to release a book and uh, start marketing a movie at the same time, like ever again, like the rest of my life. And maybe, you know, the good thing, if nefarious flops at the box office, I'll never be faced with that temptation ever again. And, you know, I'll never make that mistake again. (laughs) I'm going to put you in the corner if you keep talking like this. This is... (laughs) Unacceptable, and I will make no such promise to have you make no such promise if it diminishes diminishes your coattails. You know this about me. I know, I know, but you can hear I'm a little worn down, uh, fighting off a little bit of a cold. Uh, had a sore throat yesterday. Went in first thing this morning, got the swab, no strep, no sinus infection, just a good old-fashioned cold probably from all the travel and not getting as much sleep as I normally do. So you may hear the dreaded sound at some point during the program of the throat lossage steroid. Uh, pumping up my voice. People uh, say, love that. I know you love that. I'm warning you in advance. And if you complain about it in my inbox, it'll just get automatically deleted because I warned you in advance. All right. So it's either that or my voice gives out. You make the call. All right. Anyway, you know that voice. That's Todders. And over there, Aaron McIntyre is over there. Good to see each and every one of you nice as shirt. well. Now you like the shirt. Yeah. Are you wearing the same shirt? Yeah. This is the one you gave me. Thank you. I don't think I ever said thank you, by the way, for that. We're all crushing the plaid today. This we are is all wearing. I forgot that I gave you. A similar shirt to one I bought for myself. Wait, oh, that's you guys right. are buying each other clothes? So Wait, they, you buried the lead. They they sent me an L instead of an XL. Yeah. And so there was I couldn't possibly fit into that, so I gave that to you, right? And I'm an L instead of an M now, so it works. So, so I, I, I had no idea that you were wearing the same shirt today. Put that up split screen. Can we do that? Uh, in like 30 seconds, yeah. No, but, I'm, I, no, no I, I was yeah. kidding. I don't think anybody actually wants yeah. to see us coordinate get to coordinate get to coordinate remember what movie that's from do you remember yes but not off the top of my head boomerang eddie murphy got to coordinate got to coordinate yeah some uh, early 90s underrated classic boomerang all right anyway uh coming up on today's program we are going to have an equal time debate and man i'm going to keep time on my phone to make sure both sides get the same amount of time all right so A lot of you have asked me questions the last few months in my inbox, on social media. Hey, you know, what's going on with Alex Berenson and Ivermectin? And 
Of course, I have an immense amount of respect for Alex, uh, his opinion on this matter notwithstanding. I mean, I, I, I think he is deserving of at least as much credit as any of you would be willing to give me for the resistance of the last couple of years when it comes to lockdowns, masks and the jabs. All right. And in some respects, I think he maybe deserves more credit because he actually had to go against his own native habitat, his own native political ecosystem to take these positions. I didn't. Well, I mean, I did, too. We had a Republican in the White House. But if you guys know this, you know, today's the sixth anniversary of our show. I had no idea that was the case until our good buddy Rob, you know, uh, tweeted that to me a little bit ago. So thank you for six years uh, ago. Starting today is when this show began. And if you've been, at, at, you know, a regular on this program at any point in the last six years, you know, I don't care about violating my own ecosystem because a lot of times our ecosystem, frankly, sucks and it's about to lose the greatest country the world's ever seen. So I have no problem violating the doctrines and, and conventional wisdoms of a fake movement that on its watch grifted its way to losing out, perhaps uh, irrevocably, the greatest civilization of all time. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. But that's me. Okay. Alex had to violate his own orthodoxy in many cases to come to these positions. So I have an immense amount of respect for him. I, I've seen ivermectin work. I've seen plenty of data that it does. I want to hear, though, what he has to say. So I'm going to open up the floor to him next segment of the show. And I'm just going to let him open-ended make his case, the best case he has. And rather than debate me, I'm going to debate a guy. I'm going to let him, um, uh, I'm going to let a guy that's actually clinically used the substance in his own practice, Dr. Pierre Corey from your neck of the woods there in Madison, Wisconsin. He is going to join us at the top of next hour for the rebuttal. And they're each going to get the same amount of time. I'm going to time it. I have an immense amount of respect for both of these men. So I'm going to, I'm going to make sure they are both equally hurt here. And then I'm going to turn it over to you and, uh, and Aaron, Todd. You guys are going to be the jury. And you're going to make your determination of how you think that conversation went. Did Alex present something we had not considered? Did you, did you find his case anemic? Did you, were you a little disappointed or uh, emboldened by some of the responses that Pierre Corey had, right? And we'll, we'll decide that next hour on the show. And then the final segment of the show, we will have some time for Ask Me Anything. Uh, in abbreviated Ask Me Anything this week, it'll be questions from our friends over on Truth Social. Truth Social will be asking the questions this week. So uh, we look forward to that coming up in the final segment of the program. Uh, but before, oh, I should also mention this because this occurred after we left. Um, the Wall Street Journal and Publishers Weekly, both last, late last week, certified rise of the Fourth Reich confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial, both certified it as a national bestseller. And again, I, I would be willing to bet that there has never that there's never before been a book written by two figures within the national conservative media that was a certified bestseller and received zero exposure on Fox News whatsoever i'd be willing to bet that's never happened before so this was all done by you you guys did all of this Dan and I, uh, Daniels and I's buddy Dan Bongino gave us a couple of pushes. Obviously, the patriarch Glenn Beck gave us some put, gave us a couple of pushes. Um, and so those guys absolutely get the uh, the the Yari Curry assist on the Wayne Gretzky goal here, or maybe you like it the other way around. Um, so props to them for sure. Naomi Wolf did a fantastic interview with Daniel and I that was an hour long uh, on her site that's up on Rumble now too that you should absolutely watch if you haven't seen. And guys, that's about it. The, the rest of this, we got, we outsold Michelle Obama last week. And we did that because of you. 
I mean, just our own grassroots audiences and some very strategic pushes by people who have monster audiences and Dan Bongino and Glenn Beck. And that's it. We didn't get booked on every show like Mike Pompeo did at Fox. We outsold him last week, too. He also should not be on the New York Times bestseller list instead of us. That's also a fraud. So apparently Mike must be regime compliant because the New York Times is willing to count his book sales and not ours. And we didn't have the RNC spend $42,000 to market our book to its mailing list that Mike Pompeo had that, too. We didn't. We just had you guys and some of our good friends in the media. And that was it. So you guys made that happen, just like you did with Fauci and Bargain as well. So this is the second time now, because of you, that I have had a bestseller that the New York Times has refused to acknowledge. And I got to tell you guys, I freaking love that. I can't tell you how much I get off on it. Everybody wonders, what is, what is Steve's ego driven by? Because I, I don't care. I don't count clicks. Aaron, Aaron actually out of the blue told me how many downloads we had last week. When was the last time I ever asked you that? It's been a never. Nah. You know what, you know what Steve's ego wants to do? Win the friggin' argument. That's what I like. Ah, yeah. That's what gets my T-level up. Winning the argument. Period. Winning the argument. And when they have to ignore you, when they shun you, when they can't counter you, when they can't, when they can't manipulate you, you've won. I'll take that over my rightful place on the New York Times bestseller list any day. Besides, I already made a couple of bestseller lists anyway that proved my point. So that happened because of all of you and truly grassroots support. And now we're getting some fantastic reviews. Still an opportunity for you to get this book in front of your legislator, your members of Congress, your mayors, your city councils. I mean, it was at the state and local level that they imposed this evil upon us. Or at the job site level, frankly, get it to them too. Send a message so that this never happens again. So I would be remiss if I didn't open up today in the first segment by saying thank you. There's, there's no way. Uh, no way we do this without you. All of us in this business have an ultimate Lord, small L, right? The, the conservative media and industry sphere operates like feudalism. Everybody's accountable to somebody, to some Lord of the manor somewhere. So you'll, you'll see people that will do a great job, for example, pointing out how poisonous the jab is. And then the, the, in, in one tweet, and then like the very next tweet, the nominee has to be Trump in 2024, who's the author and braggart of the very jab they just told us all was poison, right? You ever wonder, you guys ever wonder, I don't, that doesn't compute, I don't understand that. It's because that's the Lord. That, that, that personality, that's their Lord, small l. I'm not saying it's, it's like a worship of, of Trump. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's the business model. Conservative media, for, in most places, operates like feudalism. Someone ultimately is the Lord of the manor. You're not allowed to offend them. They got you your spot. They made you a vassal. And so you're, so some lords, you know, Trump, by, to, to his credit, actually, lets you have all forms of freedom to disagree with them, just as long as when the time comes to vote, you have his back. You can have any opinion you want on virtually any issue, as long as when the time comes to vote in a primary, in a national, or in a, in a general, you have his back. And so that's why there's been a lot of great people that have became, that are Trump vassals, that have been great, like on COVID. But in the end, they then will turn right around and say, but make sure we vote again for the guy that did this all to us. Because that's the cost. You see what I'm trying to say? Mm, that's, everybody's got a lord of the manor. I do too. I do too. But it's not the blaze. I made the decision day one when we started this way back in a local show 
uh, going on now 18 or 17 years ago. You are the Lord, the audience. You are whom I ultimately owe in this currency system. Candidates come and they go, Hobbs. They come and they go. Donald Trump's 80 years old. Why would I lick his boots when he's not buying green bananas? You guys are going to be here a lot longer than that. Platforms, nope. They come and they go too. For us in our show, it's you and the audience. You guys get the very best that we have of everything. Plus, it's also strategic because I can be very grating on people. So it's best to have a lot of lords because you could afford to lose some here and there <laughs> as opposed to just one. And then if you lose that one, you're screwed. <laughs> right? So it's not all altruistic, I promise. Some of it was very strategic. I'm like, man, I'm just not going to. I don't play well with others. It's probably best that I've got the widest sample of, of people I'm accountable to possible because I'm going to lose some here and there, if not a lot. But in the end, in the conservative media, everybody does. For our show on its sixth anniversary, that's you. And so thank you, because this doesn't happen without you again. And now here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Revisiting Wuhan. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak. That's according to classified intelligence reports recently provided to the White House and members of Congress. The shift by the Energy Department, which previously was undecided on how the virus emerged, is noted in an update to a 2021 document by Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines's office. The Energy Department now joins the FBI in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. Four other agencies, along with the National Defense Panel, still judge it was likely the result of natural transmission, and two are undecided. Actor Woody Harrelson hosted Saturday Night Live this weekend and took his opening monologue as an opportunity to rail on Big Pharma. Harrelson jokes he received a script to review for a new movie. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? Moving on, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says your sons and daughters will die on the battlefields of Europe if you don't send them more money. Whoops, wrong clip. If it happens so that Ukraine, uh, due to various opinions and weakening, depleting of assistance, uh, uh, loses, Russia is going to enter Baltic states, NATO member states, and then the U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war, and they will have to fight. Back at home, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked why Biden hasn't gone to East Palestine. Look, I don't, I, I, it, it, I want to be very clear here. Um, there's no reason to struggle, I don't think, on this question. Biden himself was asked if he plans to go to Ohio. 
Now, the audio is kind of hard to make out, so here's what he says, quote, At this moment, not, I was, I did a whole video, I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, what the hell, uh, Zoom. All I can hear every time I think of Zoom is that song of my generation, Who's Zoomin' Who? Joe Biden is talking about the 1985 Aretha Franklin song, which is about flirting. It's unclear what this has to do with East Palestine other than learning Chinese today. Today's phrase is dementia. Civilization in decline update. Look at the results of this Pew survey. The survey says relative to 2019, single American men today are much less likely to be interested in starting any sort of romantic relationship. 61% in 2019 versus 50% last year. American women are even significantly less likely to be interested in doing so than men. Millstones update. This video surfaced over the weekend of the beginning of a youth girls soccer match in an unidentified location. As you can see from the video, young girls before the match from both teams come out onto the field carrying an LGBTQ BIPOC tranny flag. At some sort of rainbow jihad protest in the UK, one man held up a sign that read, quote, queer joy is for all ages. According to Fox News, Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon has suspended the attorney who prosecuted a 26-year-old child molester who was accused of identifying as a woman only after DNA evidence linked him to a cold case crime. According to law enforcement sources, Shea Sanna, who had been the lead prosecutor for a part of the case, is accused of misgendering and deadnaming the convicted child molester, Hannah Tubbs, who is now accused of beating a man to death in the woods with a rock in Kern County, California. Sanna has argued in the past that jailhouse phone calls show Tubbs, who's now 27 years old, attempting to use gender identity to game the justice system, an argument that sources say made others in the district attorney's office feel uncomfortable and led to the suspension. Meanwhile, in El Salvador, here's a report from Reuters. It looks like a sea of skin and tattoos. These images released by El Salvador's government shows the transfer of about 2,000 inmates stripped to their shorts and with their heads shaved to what's been dubbed the country's new mega prison. It just opened. It's believed to be the largest prison in the Americas with a capacity for 40,000 people. And it's the latest step in a controversial crackdown on crime that's caused the country's prison population to soar. And finally, if everybody acted like Joe Biden, here's comedian J.P. Sears. Oh my God. What happened? I cut my hand. I need help. Cool. Well, I'm going to go see if the neighbors need anything. I'm losing a lot of blood. Yep, I'm going over there right now. Ooh, our electric bill's past due. How much is it? $250. Okay. I'm gonna send $1,000 to Michelle. What? Who? Yeah, my friend Michelle. She could really use the money. But we need to pay our electric bill. I'm sorry, but we just don't have that kind of money. Oh, can I see your watch? Sure, I guess. I'm gonna send this to Michelle, too. I think she'd really like it. We're being audited by the IRS. Our taxes were all wrong. Really? Yeah, we're in big trouble. That idiot lady you hired to do our taxes has no clue what she's doing. Well, that lady I hired used to be a man, so them does have a clue. But them literally doesn't know how to do taxes. Might I add them is also Hispanic? So, a job well done if you ask me. Oh, also, side note, them stole all the luggage out of your closet, so you're gonna have to get new suitcases. I don't understand why we never have food in our house. What the hell is going on? (laughs) 
You can watch that full hilarious video on Awaken with JP on YouTube. And that's what happened while we were away. Not even parody. Not even satire. Nope. There is nothing satirical, satirical about that at all. Nothing. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Patriot Mobile with their performance guarantee. If you are not happy with the current coverage network you're on with them, they can switch you between any of the three major carriers now for free. Uh, and they do things like that for you because Patriot Mobile is the only really American mobile phone company left in the country. Uh, and you'll get the same great service while supporting a company that actually fights to preserve your God-given rights and freedoms rather than try to extinguish them. So if you want to resolve to stop supporting companies that don't align with your values, and you don't have a lot of options, frankly, to do that in this day and age, unfortunately. Thankfully, one of them is when it comes to a product we all need to use here in the modern day, and that is our mobile phones. Make the switch today to Patriot Mobile. They're 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or you can call them at 878-PATRIOT and get a free activation today with the offer code Steve at 878-PATRIOT, patriotmobile.com. All right, let's get to what is in Aaron's montage. And um, there's really two things here that I, I want to highlight. Let's start with Woody Harrelson's remarks on Saturday Night Live. Before those remarks, he went on, you know, some tirade about doing weed and doing drugs. And that New York City audience of COVIDiots couldn't get enough. Laughed, cheered, right? Sure. Right. That's our beloved bartender from Cheers. That's our guy, right? The amiable dunce. There he is. Right? Yeah. Uh, 60-year-old burnout beatnik. That's our beloved Woody. Yeah. That same crowd, when he pivots to what he said right there about the last few years, man, the silence in that room. You hear one guy laugh when you watch that clip. You hear one guy laugh. The rest of that room, man, quiet is kept. Whores in church sneak in and out quieter or not as quiet, I should say, as that room was when Woody dropped that truth bomb on him. This country is so lost epistemologically that these days I have more in common with Woody Harrelson, Bill Maher, and Russell Brand than significant figures within evangelical Christianity. Bill Maher, the atheist, author of Religious, more discerning about the worst shutdown of human flourishing since Noah's flood than was the Gospel Coalition. Russell Brand, doing shows on transcendental meditation more discerning uh, about the last few years than some high-profile leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention. Who was the guy that from the video last year that was filleting Francis Collins? Ed Stetzer, is that his name? Ed Stetzer, yeah. Stetzer, thank you. Okay. Yeah. God comes to you and says, all right, man, this is going down. I'm going to give you one buddy. Ed Stetzer, Russell Brand, Todd, make your call. Choose your fighter. Who are you going with? You know the answer. Yeah, I mean, no question about it. I'm, I'm taking Russell Brand. 
talking about the profits of the magical power of vaccines. Yes. Yeah. I mean, every time they step up, that's what they're telling you about. No different than for me. Don't get me wrong. I understand. And this is why I use the term epistemology. I didn't use the term philosophy. I didn't use the term ideology. I didn't use the term theology. I'm well aware of the fact I still have several, if not even irreconcilable differences on those subject matters and those disciplines with those individuals that I just mentioned. Okay. That's not what epistemology is. It is the study and pursuit of what we know to be true and how do we know it is true. It requires critical thinking, seeking after earnest knowledge. Aaron Rodgers, who's alienated himself from his faith fam, from his family, who's, uh, from what I understand, a very active faith family, considers himself to be an atheist. He practiced, he practiced more epistemological discipline the last few years than some of the most high-profile figures in Big Eva. Which brings us to the lab leak. When you and I, Todd, published Fauci and Bargain the end of March of 2021, we put a chapter in the book. Two years ago. I know. We put a chapter in the book for the Wuhan lab where we, we put, and there's, if you go back and read that chapter now, you'll see there's a lot of breadcrumbs in there pointing to this, but we could not... I mean, you would be censored everywhere if yeah. you just flat out. And we didn't. And and even though we had breadcrumbs, we didn't have the 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 definable information that we have today. But we even said at the time, there's no way those bats that nest 900 kilometers from Wuhan were responsible for infesting wet markets with COVID-19. That's just not possible. That's not the. That was the explanation we were given, though. And if you go back to that book, Todd, one of the things that I bring up a lot, the parts of the book that I wrote, because it was it was it was a it was an inflection point for me and something we talked about a lot in the first year and a year, year and a half of of this scandemic before the jab and its poisons took over the entire landscape of the conversation. What changed with Anthony Fauci? Remember, we kept talking oh, yeah. about those those eight days. Yeah. All right, those, it was at eight days, 11 days. It was like February 28th, he writes a piece for the New England Journal of Medicine, sounding a lot like John Ioannidis at, uh, at Stanford University on the IFR, the CFR, yeah. and, and a lot of the data of what Anthony Fauci predicted in, in the New, York, New England Journal of Medicine in February, of 20, February 28th is what turned out to be true. Much more conservative estimates of its lethality. Uh, early March, he's on 60 Minutes. Telling people, you know, there's no need to panic. We all know that, you know, cloth masks don't work anyway. Remember, he was he was even doing a, a press avail from the White House telling the media people they could still go on their spring yeah. their vacation spring break spring break spring break vacations. Easy for me to He's say. He's on record in the past believing in natural immunity. Correct. I mean, all of this. And then March 11th, he goes to Congress and literally says the sky is falling. What changed that? And we and we and we asked this question a lot in Fauci and Bargain. We asked this question a lot on the show. What 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 new information did he get that just a switch was flipped. Order 66. Right. I believe we know the answer now. I believe that he found out during that time from our own intel that his fingerprints were on the murder weapon.
that the spillover potential gain of function research they were doing in the Wuhan lab was a was a combined effort that he funded him and Francis Collins funded it through pass through organizations and institutions like EcoHealth Alliance and Ralph Barrick. One big, happy global partnership there with the Shycoms, who, of course, were likely using it for a dual purpose, which was bioweapons research, because the head of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, as we pointed out in Fauci and Bargain, was the former head of the Chinese bioweapons program. I'm sure he had, was in, since reformed. As most Chinese apparatchiks are. Indeed. I think that's what changed. I think we know this now. And I go back to something I said a lot during those days, and I'll say it again. I don't believe I know more about this science and technology than Anthony Fauci does and people like him. That's what scares me, is that I know I don't. So how am I able to so easily deconstruct their narratives? Again and again and again. Mm -hmm. I think this is the missing link. I think he found out from our intel that the virus was a creation of their spillover potential gain-of-function vaccine research in those labs. I think that's why he abandoned natural immunity and everything else. At first, it was because we don't know what laws of nature this thing, we were messing around with that. We, we have, we've got a cauldron of chimeric concoctions in that lab over there. Who knows what natural laws they adhere to? And then from, th- then from that time forward, there was a, there was, it, w- it looked like we were close enough to getting this new experimental technology on the market. Then then just craven corporatism, uh, f- fascism, the same guy that you know, tested AIDS drugs that don't work on kids in the uh, foster care system in New York City in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Then that instinct kicked in. But I think originally, the, the answer, guys, is this. He found out his, ha- his prints were on the murder weapon. I think that's what changed. That's why we must have trials and executions. And the executions after a fair trial, of course. Well, two people that I did not know prior to March of 2020, but uh, I have come to know and have an immense amount of respect for, have a really an irreconcilable disagreement about a key issue, and that is what is and isn't, and what was and wasn't, an effective early treatment for COVID-19. And when you've got two people that uh, are in, uh, in at loggerheads over something like this that you have an equal amount of respect for. To me, the best thing to do is to hear each of them out and give each of them equal time. So I've got the stopwatch set here on my phone and each of them, uh, one of them this segment and then the, another next segment in the show are going to get the exact same amount of time to make their case where the case for or against ivermectin is concerned. And up first is the con position uh our good friend alex berenson uh back here on the program and alex it is good to see you again and um regardless of 
where we, you and I may be on this particular issue, I want to make sure I reiterate for the audience one more time. I have an immense amount of respect for the work that you have done overall over the last few years. I mean, I, to me, I, I think you've done nothing short of heroic work uh, on behalf of the country the last few years. And so I just think that that needs to be acknowledged regardless of how this goes. And that's why we want to hear you out because of the respect we have for you. So it's good to have you back here on the show, brother. How you been? I've been fine. Um, and thanks for saying that. Obviously, you've been a fighter on this, uh, you know, on all kinds of issues involving the vaccines and COVID, too. And uh, and I appreciate your having me. And, you know, and frankly, I, I honestly think ivermectin is, is at this point just a complete sideshow. But I think, you know, and my life would be easier if I just let, uh, you know, Dr. Corey and the people who are pro ivermectin continue to talk about it. Uh, since essentially nobody is paying much attention to it and there are very few prescriptions written for it at this point. But I think it is important for the same reasons that we need to talk honestly about the mRNAs, mm-hmm. their problems, and the same reasons we need to talk honestly about the fact that masks are useless and that you know lockdowns did very little. Um, we need to talk honestly about ivermectin too. And it doesn't, you know, it is a it is something else that doesn't really work. And it has this band of people who are um, you know, fanatic about it. Um, but that that doesn't mean it works. And, uh, you know, I think there's a broader issue here. And I mentioned this on Twitter today, and I think I probably will write a Substack about it at some point, which is that I think in general, especially in the United States, um, we have grown, uh, you know, we, we, we medicine has become in some ways sort of a god and people and people pick their sub god right they pick oh you know natural medicine is what's going to save me or the newest treatment is what's going to save me or surgery is what's going to save me and we all have um and we have very overstated uh views and hopes for what medicine can do for us and it leads us down a path of wanting pharmaceutical interventions all the time when the truth is a that uh that most of the time, the best thing you can do is just eat right and exercise, most conditions, most of the time. And B, there's going to be a gradual decline for all of us that ends in death, right? And whether that death is from cancer or heart disease or, you know, maybe you're 90 and it is essentially just natural causes, just old age and dementia and, you know, you get a minor cold and you die. We all die. And asking doctors to, to make that not true is like asking which which doctors to make that not true. And so I think it's really important to you know to 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 talk about what the limits of medicine are, whether that's somebody on the right who thinks ivermectin is, you know, is fantastic and is going to treat everything or somebody on the left who thinks the mRNAs are going to enable them to live forever, they're both wrong. And so, you know, being the person in the middle who says this doesn't really make me any friends, but I feel sort of duty bound to do it. Well, it would be completely hypocritical of me to uh, write a book that uh, just became a bestseller calling for a reconciliation and accountability and a reckoning over the last few years. And then when a subject that I have in the past been favorable to comes up and say, and someone like you says, we need a reckoning on that, say no, no but not that, but not that. I mean, we're either right. all accountable to the same standards or we are not. And so that's why we're doing this today. And I'm going to make sure each of you gets the exact same amount of time. So I just want to ask an open-ended question. What is your best case slash slash explanation for why you don't believe ivermectin was ever an F efficacious treatment for COVID-19? Sure. So look, the, the best studies, the, the studies that matter, and Pierre's going to come on. I mean, I, obviously, he's going to get to hear me. I don't get to hear him, but I broadly know what he's going to say. 
He's going to come on and say there are all these studies from all over the world that show just how well ivermectin works. The problem is those studies are essentially all open in some way. They are they are they are open label or they are randomized, but not truly randomized. People can you know choose one arm or the other. They're not controlled. The people who conduct them are the ones um, you know measuring the outcomes. They're not particularly well designed. Okay, the only studies, and I and I only is a bit strong. But the studies that matter by far the most are what are called randomized controlled trials, and that's when you take a group of people, you split them in half, you split them down the middle using a you know computer algorithm so the two groups are balanced. You give one group the treatment, the other group not the treatment. You give the other group a you know a sugar pill, and then you measure the outcomes, not knowing who's gotten what. And ideally, it's actually a third party, you know, who, who, who's, who's measuring the outcomes, right? So, so the, you know, the, the people who design the study and pay for the study, they're not actually the ones like up close with the patients. And that's called a randomized controlled trial. And when those trials have been done, and we just had another one, the results were reported just a few days ago, ivermectin doesn't work, okay? It's not dangerous. It doesn't make things worse when you're treated, when you have COVID, but it doesn't make things better. It is a placebo. And that's totally believable because ivermectin is a pretty gentle medicine. Um, you know, it's been given in African nations with pretty minimal medical oversight for a generation, um, you know, with very few bad outcomes. If you said to me, you know, you have to take ivermectin every day for the rest of your life or you have to take Tylenol, I'd probably take ivermectin because I don't think it's particularly dangerous. But but it doesn't actually treat COVID, okay? COVID is a, you know, COVID is a tough disease to treat. And most of the things we've tried to treat it don't work very well. And ivermectin is just one more of those things that doesn't work very well. And so you can present all the open label observational data you want. It doesn't mean anything. If the drug works, it should work in a clinical trial. And so whenever ivermectin fails these clinical trials, people like, you know, Dr. Corey and, and other you know, uh, people, whether they're physicians or not, who like ivermectin, always have some excuse that the protocol wasn't right, that uh, sometimes they'll just say, oh, the trial must have been biased and the people who did it wanted the drug to fail. Well, that's nonsense. Nobody runs a trial hoping a drug's going to fail. It's a big waste of time and money. Um, and so, uh, so and, and by the way, if ivermectin worked, the it wouldn't have to be diagnosed and and given to people, you know, six minutes after they got a COVID diagnosis. You'd see an impact, even if it weren't being diagnosed in the perfectly optimal way, you'd still see some impact. And that's not what you see. When the trials are conducted in this randomized controlled way, you see no impact, basically no positive impact, no negative impact. It's a pure placebo. And by the way, the people who say ivermectin works, like, they have all these random theories about why it works, none of which really hold up. So for a while, it had something to do with zinc. And then after Paxlovid came out um, and proved, uh, you know, and, and actually Paxlovid, although it's far from a perfect drug and it's hideously overpriced, after Paxlovid came out, there was actually ivermectin is just like Paxlovid. People were calling it Pfizer-mectin or they were calling Paxlovid Pfizer-mectin. That's not true. Paxlovid has a completely different mechanism of action. Um, so, so there's no real theoretical reason to believe ivermectin would work. 
and there's no um, real clinical trial evidence that it works. And we've now studied this for like two years. It just doesn't work. I'm not saying it's harmful. And, and I want to say something else, Steve. There's a separate issue, and that's whether people like Dr. Corey and other doctors should be allowed to talk about ivermectin and even prescribe ivermectin. And I believe they should, okay? They, um, we don't have a lot of evidence that it's harmful. And in the United States, you know, you go to a law, and you know, other countries, but in the United States, you go to school for a long time to become a doctor, and you have some freedom after that to prescribe and practice as you see fit. And, there, and people prescribe off-label all the time. Doctors do it all the time. They, you know, that's part of being a doctor. I don't have any problem with that. I think it should be allowed. And I don't think people should be penalized for, for ivermectin when they're not penalized for prescribing off-label in other ways. So I have no problem with that. But whether, when we're talking about whether the drug actually is effective, I just don't think there's any evidence is effective. And I'll say one more thing, um, you know, and then, cause you know, I don't know how long I've been talking, five minutes, six minutes, but um, you know, I wanna give Dr. Corey a chance to speak. Also, uh, when people say I took ivermectin and I recovered, yeah, you did. That's because COVID is not dangerous, certainly not very dangerous for most of the people who get it, right? If you're not 85, if you're not 400 pounds, if you don't have, you know, really severe, uh, you know, congestive heart failure, you're gonna recover from COVID most of the time. And the numbers, you know, have turned out to be, especially with Omicron, but even before, you know, 99.99% of people under 50 who get COVID recover. Right. Most of those people don't wind up in the hospital. Nearly all, they don't wind up in the emergency room, the ER, uh, the ICU. They just recover. Now, uh, unfortunately, you know, certainly if you're if you're if you're morbidly obese and if you're older, your risks are higher. If you have diabetes, your risks are higher. But but if you're in reasonable health, and I don't mean you're an Olympic athlete, I just mean you're in reasonable health, mm -hmm. um, you're very very likely to recover from COVID. And that's one reason why it's actually hard to demonstrate that drugs work against COVID because, um, because most people do recover on their own and would recover on their own. And that's, by the way, one reason Paxlovid really is overprescribed and should only be given to people who are truly at high risk. And, you know, the fact that Pfizer is selling it for $700 to people who, you know, are 51 years old and healthy um, is ridiculous. But that's a separate issue. Okay. So, so when people say, I, I, was, I got COVID, and you know, I was so scared, or you know, I wasn't that scared. Whatever, I took ivermectin, I recovered. That's great. You would have recovered without it. That's what the studies show. So, um, so that's my, you know, that's my firm belief about this. And no amount of observational data overrides the randomized controlled trials and the fact that there's just no real, um, uh, like theoretical strong theoretical justification. You can you can make up reasons why ivermectin might work, but you know there, there, there's no good prospective preclinical work really showing it's going to work. And and again, uh, Dr. Corey will have his own studies here, but I would just advise people to look at the randomized controlled data. All right, I've got two minutes. Can I ask you one follow up question? Of course. Okay. Where would you direct our audience to what you think is the best uh, RCT uh, that, 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 that shows it doesn't work, randomized controlled study that you think that shows it doesn't work? And what would you say to people who say, why would I trust the same entities who lied to me about everything else the last few years to suddenly tell me the truth about a cheap drug that they can't really make a ton of money on uh, might, might, that might work 
Um, Why would I instantly trust them to tell me the truth about that? How would you respond to that follow-up question? Great question. So, so there was a study that just came out last week. Um, I want to say it was in the NEJM. Uh, if it was in JAMA, I apologize, but it literally just came out. Um, again, showing pretty high dose ivermectin, I think given for six days. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the risk ratio was, was almost exactly one, meaning like no excess risk with ivermectin, no reduced risk with ivermectin, just uh, basically the same as placebo. So that it's a good study. You know, some of the stuff can be a little bit technical if you're not used to reading it, but you you know, you read the conclusion and the abstract uh, and maybe the first couple of paragraphs and you get a sense of whether or not it makes sense. The other question is a harder question. And I understand the skepticism around medical journals and medical research and the medical complex and 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 I share it, okay? But if we're not going to throw all of it out, if we're not going to say, like, none of the numbers mean anything, and I don't trust the CDC death numbers, and I don't trust the hospitals, you know, to report when somebody's sick, and, and I don't trust any of this research at all, if we're, if we're not going to go back to, you know, 1600, we have to believe that independent researchers, not financed by, you know, Pfizer, for example, which obviously makes you know, Paxlova, which is his competitor, Ivermectin, are running the studies and conducting the research in a way that that is that is basically honest. Okay. And that's not to say, like, you can put your thumb on the scale of a clinical trial. And I've written about this extensively with the mRNAs, right? Those trials, even if they were run honestly, didn't really set out to determine whether whether the vaccines actually reduce death and hospitalization from COVID. And they, they were designed to succeed, okay? And, and and we know that. But but you can read and understand why that is when you read them. So when I read the ivermectin study from last week, I say, it looks pretty good. It looks like it was set up pretty honestly. I have to believe that the researchers conducted it honestly and that they found what they said they found. If I'm not gonna do that, then there's really no scientific or medical grounding to anything that we're doing. So, so yes, I get the skepticism, and I have a lot of problems. I think, as everybody knows, mm-hmm. with you know, with the CDC and with the vaccine companies and with the NIH. But it doesn't mean that I think we should throw everything out and just say nothing matters except my personal observation. Because one okay. last thing, I got when, a minute. I got a minute. Go ahead. Okay, so, you know, so the reason all this stuff exists is that for a thousand years, doctors just went on anecdote, right? And so they would literally bloodlet people. They would they would cut open veins and let people's blood out. And, you know, for a while, probably, if you're getting bloodlet, you probably feel pretty lightheaded and kind of good. And they'd say, you know, do you feel better, patient? And, the, you know, the patient would say, I feel better. And guess what? Like, that's that's not medicine. That's killing people. And but because nobody was sort of collecting the data in a systematic way, this became part of medical practice. And it took a really long time to figure out it was a bad idea. So when we're running clinical trials, instead of just depending on the observation of the patient and the physician, we're doing it the right way. And we have to stick to that. And that's, you know, I, 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 okay. I will I fight for that forever. Okay. Alex, quickly remind our audience where your substack is so they can follow you, keep following your work. If I haven't turned too many of you off, it's, <laughs> it's all it's right. Go ahead. Unreported truths. 
And it's at Alex Berenson, my name, A-L-E-X-B-E-R-E-N-S-O-N dot substack dot com. This audience is used to hearing things on a daily basis that doesn't make them comfortable from me. So don't worry about that. Good to see you again, brother. Thank you for everything you've done the last few years. Very appreciated. All right. Thank you. All right. That's Alex Berenson. 15 minutes and 20 seconds is what he got. So that's what we'll give Dr. Pierre Corey in the next segment of the show. Fair? Go. All right. And then we'll let uh, you and uh, Aaron play uh, focus group slash jury. Nice. On what you heard from both ends. It's good to hear from Alex again. It always is good to hear from Alex. He's done a lot of great work. No question about it. Hour two is next. back here with hour two live and on demand on blaze tv radio and podcast it is our sixth anniversary so thanks to all of you for making the last six years possible uh we literally could not be here without you so thank you if you are a podcast listener please leave us a five-star review hit subscribe or follow thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already Everyone else, and including them, if you want to let us know what you think about what we think, you can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter. And if you're on Truth Social, at Real Steve Dace there. And next segment at the bottom of the hour will be our weekly Ask Me Anything. And it will be our followers on Truth Social that will be asking the questions this week. So we look forward to that. But before we get there, of course... Now, part two of our conversation forum slash debate on ivermectin just seemed, as I said to Alex Barron's in last hour, it would be rather hypocritical of me to write a book calling for a comprehensive reckoning of the last few years. And then when when Alex requests a reckoning of a pet subject of my own, I'm like, yeah, I accept that. Right. That would kind of make us exactly like what we claim we're against. Right. So we invited Alex, who has done some incredible work. On behalf of freedom, liberty, truth, um, over the last uh, medical freedom, liberty, over the last few years that cannot be disputed comprehensively without question. Um, and so we, we, we come upon really the first real moment of disagreement we have had with Alex over the last few years. So we heard him out for 15 minutes and 20 seconds. I timed it. All right. And so we're going to give Pierre Corey the exact same amount of time. So it is the fairest forum we can possibly muster here on The Blaze. And we welcome Dr. Pierre Corey back to the program. And uh, it is good to see you again, Dr. Corey. How are you? Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. So I'm going to let you do the same thing I let Alex do. Um, I just started the clock. I asked Alex a simple question. What is your best case against the efficacy of ivermectin? as a efficacious treatment against COVID-19. So I'm going to start the clock when I, by asking you the exact same opening question, but in reverse. What is your best evidence, Dr. Corey, for the efficacy of ivermectin as a good and proper treatment against COVID-19? Yeah, so if it's possible, I, have, I just have two slides. I think it would be really good to just present the, the slides graphically or, or visually if that's possible. Um, but here, here is the sum total of the evidence base for ivermectin, right? So you, it's not even close. I mean, we have 95 
controlled trials, which is comparing one group that got ivermectin and another one that didn't. I think about 38 or nine are, uh, actually there's 45 randomized controlled trials. And if you look at those green diamonds, they're all to the left of that gray line in the middle. And when it's to the left, it means it favors ivermectin. And those are large, and so that's when you combine all of the trials, all the data from the trials, and that is a term in medicine called a meta-analysis. And it's long been considered that meta-analyses are much, are the highest form and largest strength of medical evidence. Not a single trial, because there can be lots of faults with single trials, and you don't want to bias your conclusions to one single trial. You always want to summarize as much evidence. And if you look, this is 95 studies, 27 countries, 1,000 scientists involved in studying this, and you see this overwhelming efficacy. And then on the right, that's a more granular meta-analysis showing each individual trial where early treatment was studied. And you see all those green uh, green diamonds. I mean, you see really large magnitude benefits over and over. Now, are there some trials where they didn't find efficacy? Yes. It's all about the design of the trial. And, you know, the thing with, with Alex is um, he and I are both confused about something. I find that he's very confused about ivermectin. And what confused me is why he's confused, because we have to bring up the vaccines in the context of ivermectin. Here's a guy, you mentioned it in your, in your intro, that has done really good work. He nailed the vaccine fraud from the beginning. He was probably the first and the loudest guy calling attention to all the anomalies uh, that was supporting these vaccines. And he's continued to do that. And you know what? Hats off to Alex. He nailed that. What I can't understand is how he doesn't see that ivermectin is closely linked to the vaccines. You couldn't do the vaccines without destroying ivermectin. You could not have a safe, effective, repurposed drug uh, that was known and that was available to society and yet push these vaccines. You just couldn't do it. It would have, it would have skyrocketed vaccine hesitancy. And the other thing is, Alex has rightly picked out all of the fraudulent trials that are published in high-impact journals around the vaccines, um, and he knows that they're not telling the truth in those medical journals, yet he firmly believes in the trials that are published in the high-impact journals. And I will say, out of those 95 trials, I will tell you, based on my expertise, that it's five trials that have been published in high-impact journals that were purportedly negative that got all of the media and press. I will tell you, the media, the meta-analyses are not being transmitted by the media. What, what's happened over the last two years is these five trials, all conducted by pharmaceutical, um, uh, uh, basically paid investigators, uh, some of them actually have stock in competitors to ivermectin. I mean, it, it, this is so absurd to talk about. You, you literally have scientists who make their living from the pharmaceutical industry who are getting paid by competitors to ivermectin who are conducting this trial. If you ever heard the word bias, there's that. There's the money bias and the competitor bias. But those five trials, every time they published, and they've been coming out like with three to four month intervals, each time a press, so it's almost like a public relations campaign is launched across the media major newspapers, ivermectin doesn't work, ivermectin doesn't work. Five trials out of 95. Now, those five trials, like I said, are very unique. If you look at the 95, and I did this a couple of weeks ago, I looked at every paper I could on, on early treatment, and I looked at the paper, and every paper has conflicts of interest on it. 
I could not find any conflicts of interest in almost all of the trials except for the five in the high impact journals, because those are the proper, most rigorous ones. And if you look at the list of investigators and their conflicts of interest, it is absolutely drowning. Now, let's talk about this most recent trial really briefly, because uh, I think that's why Ivermectin, I mean, uh, Alex is on his Ivermectin bandwagon again, or anti-bandwagon. But if you could bring up my next slide, I just have two more. So this was a trial. So if you look at this trial, this was the National Institutes of Health, Active 6. This is their sixth round of research. And they're studying Ivermectin. They did two trials on Ivermectin. All of the investigators that you see listed here are identical to the trial just published. But the one that I'm showing you was published three months ago in October. So this is their first ivermectin trial where they, um, uh, actually, no, this is the one that was just published. But these investigators are the same ones who did a the same trial, but a lower dose for shorter duration. So it was, it was 400 mics for, for three days. Go to the next slide for me. And this is all I have to say about the trial that was just published. Those investigators in their previous trial this is what they did. So let me just explain what they did. In the middle of the trial, they changed the protocol, which is an absolute no-no in research. You do not change the design of your trial in the middle of it. And what did they change? They changed something called the primary endpoint. The primary endpoint is literally that thing that you're looking for a difference in. And their initial primary endpoint was a difference in symptom severity at day 14. Okay, in the middle of the trial, they suddenly changed the endpoint from day 14 to day 28. Now, why would you do that in an acute viral illness? Why are you looking for symptoms, a symptom difference at day 28? Most of us are recovered by that. It's very curious, don't you think? Now, if you look to the right and you see that they present results of uh, something called an odds ratio, day seven, day 14, day 28. And if you look to the rightmost column, you look at something called posterior P. I don't want to get too granular, but it's important. I want people to understand that there's brazen scientific misconduct and fraud occurring. This was the most brazen because it's right in the paper and the protocol. You just have to look for it. The posterior P of 0.95 or above is a highly statistically significant result. So if you have a posterior P that's above 0.95, it means that it's a positive trial and ivermectin is superior. Day seven, you had a posterior P of 0.97. Day 14, you had a posterior P of 0.98. Day 28, the what's called statistically significant difference disappears. There's still a difference. It's just not statistically significant. And you know how they wrote up this trial? They said that ivermectin has no role in the treatment of COVID-19. This was a positive trial that they brazenly manipulated um, to disappear the result. Because why? I'm telling you, this might sound cynical. At this point, I don't think we can be too cynical about anything, but literally, they were tasked, tasked, in my opinion, they were tasked with designing and conducting a trial to show a negative result. Now, is that just me trying to save my reputation or whatever? No, it's not at all. I will tell you that the designing of fraudulent trials in high-impact journals has been going on for 70 years. There's something called disinformation campaigns. And the, there, there's, there's an article, article called the Disinformation Playbook. Uh, if you Google it, you can read the article. It's a short article. But it outlines the tactics that industries employ when science emerges that's inconvenient to their interests. Now, these tactics 
were invented in the 1950s by the tobacco industry when science emerged that was inconvenient to their interests. It was the science showing the cancers, the heart attacks associated, and their business was going to get decimated. So what did they do? Well, for 50 years, they basically what they do with these studies is they publish them and they basically contradict other studies. So there's a lot of confusion and they do what's called they inject doubt where there is none. That is their entire task with this. And these industries are rapacious. You know, you're, you're, you're threatening their bottom line. And I will tell you, ivermectin, has ne there's never been a greater threat to a bottom line by a single drug than ivermectin. And these, so my conclusion is these trials are fraudulent. They're conducted by conflicted investigators who do brazen manipulations. I've written tons of substacks on those five trials. And it's just absolutely astounding that they can conduct themselves in this manner and the world says nothing. And I'll say there's a lot of doctors who know this around the world. I know thousands of doctors who know the fraud that's being committed, but our voices are not heard across society. And all society hears is that ivermectin doesn't work. And they look at these high impact journals with these supposedly high quality expert investigators who are all publishing studies showing it doesn't work. And I'm sorry, but they're just flat out lies. And, you know, the last point I want to make is, huh, Alex Berenson is not a doctor. He's never treated anyone with ivermectin. I've spent two years now, I'm probably well over a thousand patients in all phases of disease where I've used ivermectin. It is unmistakably effective. It's actually a pleasure to use it because I get patients better relatively quickly. And so, you know, the people that I hear that, you know, deride and dismiss and try to attack ivermectin, whether they're a non-doctor like Berenson or they're a doctor, I can guarantee you none of them have used it. None of them have used it in practice. And so, um, you know, although it doesn't exist anymore for hundreds, if not thousands of years, doctors relied on observational clinical experiences to determine efficacy. And I'll tell you, it's very easy to do that with ivermectin if you integrate it in your, in your practice. And so I don't know how long I've spoken for. I don't know what else to say. That is my general take. But I think the point is this, is that where, I, where Alex Berenson is making a mistake is he's calling the fraud on the vaccines and he sees a lot of scientific fraud. He doesn't understand that that fraud that occurred around the vaccines had to be simultaneously committed around ivermectin. Ivermectin would have destroyed the vaccine campaign. And so I don't understand why he doesn't get that. He and I had a somewhat, we had a friendly debate on Steve Kirsch's um, webinar, mm -hmm. maybe a few months ago. And I explained this to him and he wouldn't hear it. He wouldn't hear it. He just kept telling me the best trials show it's no more than a placebo. And I'm like, exactly. That's what those trials are designed to do. And so I think the point is pretty simple. At this point, if anyone's been awake and watching COVID, this should not come as a surprise what I'm saying. So you've got about um, about four minutes left, almost exactly. And he did too after his opening statement. You guys both almost used the exact same amount of time, which gives me an opportunity to write to, to ask each of you a follow-up question. I did have Alex, so I'll ask you one too, Dr. Core, if you don't mind. Can you get into the difference in reliability of your own observational clinical data to a random controlled study? And is it is it just as simple as the credibility is in the eye of the wielder? Meaning it really just comes down to whom is the author of, of either one of those rather than one system over the other is clearly superior. Yeah, so I've, in my last month in lectures to, I'm gonna answer the second part of your question first because 
I've gotten so cynical because not only am I, have I extensively written about the fraud in these five trials that everyone pays attention to, um, but there are books written over two decades by editors of those highest impact journals who say that you cannot believe half of what's published in the journals. Those editors know that. They saw the uh, just ferocious pharmaceutical inf in influence in science, and it's been going on for a long time. So it's not just me saying it. These are editors of those journals. Um, uh, one, one doctor, Marcia Angel, she actually left her post after 20 years because she did not want to be part of that system anymore. So that's mm. number one. Mm. The first part is, What's the reliability of my observations on a randomized controlled trial? And I, I think that's a great question because here's my answer. It depends on how potent the medicine is. There are medicines that we use that you can't really tell clinically. So for instance, if you use uh, aspirin in prevention of a heart attack, I think you have to treat 80 patients to prevent one heart attack. So that's a very subtle impact and potency so it's very hard to, t to tell on a day-by-day, patient-by-patient basis whether aspirin is really doing anything. But when you're using a really potent med medicine with a large clinical response, like I'll tell you, my first few patients two years ago that when I started using ivermectin, literally in the first three patients, within 12 to 24 hours, very ill, they all told me like, wow, within 12 hours, you know, my, my chest felt lighter, you know, my fever broke, and, you know, and, and again, people could say that's placebo, but when you see it over and over and over again, it's not placebo. And then the best was the first patient I treated, she was sick for two weeks, fevers, had a resting heart rate of 120. She took her first dose of ivermectin on a Sunday night. She told me she felt flushed right afterwards. And in the morning she woke up, no fever, there's two weeks of fevers, no fever, and her resting heart rate was 80. That is unmistakable, okay? You can't lie about heart rates. <laughs> heart rates dropping from 120 persistently over two weeks and then drops to 80, that's not placebo. I, I guess you could argue it could be placebo, but come on, man. I've, I've had two years of treating COVID. I've been immersed in treating COVID all around the country. And uh, I can tell you that ivermectin works. It, it's not one that I have to question. Um, it, it's just too unmistakable. I've got about 45 seconds. It's yours to say whatever you'd like to say. Yeah, I just, um, I just gonna, I'm gonna end with a lament. Um, you know, the things that I've learned about the corruption in the sciences and at those journals, I did not know this before COVID. I really thought those journals represented the pinnacle, the apogee of the best science and the best scientists. And I've come to the conclusion after three years that the opposite is true. Um, what, what appears in most of those in those journals, the high impact ones is generally manipulated to, to get a result. It's either to promote a drug, to find Paxlovid effective, or its competitors ineffective. And it's, it's, it's the most fearsome tool of the pharmaceutical industry. It's absolutely powerful. It changes minds, it changes approvals, it changes everything, and it d disappears safe and effective medicines. Dr. Pierre Corey, thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Uh, and uh, all your work over the last few years. And thanks for, uh, on short notice, making the time for us as well, doctor. Thank you. Sounds good, Steve. Thank you. You bet. Anytime. All right, I'm going to give you guys a minute or two to gather your thoughts after everything you just heard from two guys that we have, and I think rightfully, uh, held up to our audience as beacons of, of truth-seeking over the last few years in a, in a sea of darkness and, uh, and, and bias. And yet, on this question, they are really irreconcilable views. So trying to reconcile that, good luck. I'll give you an extra minute or two to think about that as we tell you first about uh, the upcoming fearless roll call.
from our colleague Jason Whitlock. The world is desperate in need of godly men, and that's what inspired Jay to organize Fearless Army Roll Call, an all-day event to encourage men to put on the full armor, full armor of God to take a stand against the evil forces destroying American culture. And at this conference, you will hear inspiring speeches from Jason and several special guests that will inspire you to be a better husband, father, witness for Christ. Roll Call will inspire, uplift, and entertain. You can join hundreds of like-minded men in Nashville on April the 15th for this important conference tickets will likely sell out so secure yours today by going to fearlessarmyrollcall.com fearlessarmyrollcall all one word fearlessarmyrollcall.com again that is fearlessarmyrollcall.com and you know if Jason is involved and he has uh, put himself and put the thumb on the scale to make this happen you know it will be fearless and pull no pull no punches all right fearlessarmyrollcall.com all right Todd and Aaron yeah, you got about 15 minutes and change from, again, two men that uh, we have had an immense amount of respect for the last few years that are, uh, that are at loggerheads on a key issue uh, over the last few years, effective early treatment, yay or nay. The floor is yours. You're the jury. You're the focus group. Where do you want to start? So I'll, I'll keep my thoughts relatively brief. So Todd has more time to ex- expound. And I'll say this. I think it was really healthy for us to have Alex Berenson on. I was starting to get a little pissed with him, as I'm sure a lot of you were. He has a tend uh, he has a tendency, which I, I don't know why I, I'm pissed at him because all three of us, to various degrees, have this tendency as well. When he has when he believes something, he has a tendency to be somewhat abrasive in sharing those beliefs. I hate people like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it was it was starting to get on my nerves just a little bit. Um, so I, I, it was good to have him on because I don't believe necessarily that he's just doing this for, uh, ego or to be a jerk. We have fundamentally, I think, different views on human nature because Alex, at the end of the day, he brought some studies to the table. He made a worldview argument and that is we can't just throw away you know, hundreds of years of academic institutional research, the way that we've been doing things. He's absolutely correct. Randomized controlled trials, when they are done honestly, are, are better. They are, when they are done honestly, are probably the gold standard, if you want to say, of clinical research, of research in general, when done honestly. What makes Alex's view, I think, incoherent is actually how he began the conversation before he even got into ivermectin. He discussed how we have made medicine in Western civilization. He has discussed how we have made medicine into a god. He is absolutely 100% correct on that. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we, society, any society will drift towards worshiping the God, small g, who promises to cheat death or the God who defeated death. That's basically how two, that's another way of saying how there's basically two worldviews in this world. So with that being said, you cannot just discount the fact that any single, any single and every single, uh, every single study, especially in the larger in the larger platforms, as Pierre Corey was talking about, 
every single researcher on every single study comes to the table with their own biases. These randomized controlled trials that we're talking about and methods like that were designed in order to get around those biases so we could find truth. And I understand the reticence of just throwing that away, but Alex is actually true, is, is actually correct. If we do that, if we do that, it will set us back. But that is what's on the table. That is what's on the table. There are none who are righteous, guys. And I think it's entirely possible. And this is what I think we would be willing to admit on this show that he would not be willing to admit. It is entirely possible that these institutions that we have spent hundreds of years building up and put trust into, it is entirely possible that they could be irreparable. And I don't think people like Alex Berenson, I don't think people like him are ready to admit that. And I understand that reticence. Jeez, how many times have we talked about uh, the, the looming technocratic dark ages on this show, Steve? Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. That's what's on the table. That's why we are so freaking disturbed by this. That's the reason. And at the end of the day, he trusts these trials because he does not want to throw that away. So it makes a little more sense why he has reacted the way he has. It's not just, I don't think it's just ego anymore. I don't think it's just some sort of sense of vanity. I don't think it's that at all. I don't think it's that at all. I think he is deathly afraid of throwing away, and I understand that, of throwing away these institutions that we should be able to trust. Uh, Let me say this just as as the judge of the, to make sure the conversation is fair. You don't do what Alex has done the last few years and then throw it all away over this kind of point. Right. And then if, and if, and then if, and if you are, you are, you can do that, but if you are doing it, you're not as open to having that be scrutinized as he has been. Anybody that's wanted to talk to him about this, anybody that's wanted to engage him, you heard Pierre say, he just did a debate on Steve Kirsch's podcast about this with him recently, okay? So if you do, if, 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 if indeed you think that Alex sold out for Pax Lovett, he wasn't necessarily the greatest endorser of that here on the show either. If you think that then, typically my experience, which is lengthy at people selling out, is they don't come on shows like this eager to demonstrate they're selling outness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I, I don't think it's any form of, of, of craven, um, um, uh, lack of integrity motivation. And that's the rest of it is up for you guys to decide. I just wanted to interject that. Go ahead. Well, the key to it all, uh, for me is what, uh, Dr. Corey said at the end, which won't uh, surprise you with me being uh, the anti-vaxxer before COVID came along. He's been a doctor for how long? Medical school, all that stuff. And he said, my, the corruption, I just, I did not know it. I did not understand it. I had plowed right through it. Whatever his reasons were, he admits that at the end. Again, but just normal vaccines. Again, there's the actual science of it. Listen, obviously everybody isn't injured by a, a regular vaccine, but enough of them are. And I saw over and over again how Big Pharma would, would how they would treat mothers who had this kid on one day they got vaccinated and they had this kid on another and they were just ignored i've seen that for a long long time and so is a guy like woody harrelson so listen ivermectin it it's 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 been a miracle for some people not all people i believe ivermectin works at different times in the stage for different people thank god we had it though 
But here's the thing, ultimately, end of the day, it's that corruption. And Dr. Corey didn't say explicitly why. Why is ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine linked to this vaccine? It's because you couldn't get the emergency declaration to mandate the vaccine. You have to have it. If you have a cheaper drug available, you cannot get that emergency declaration. And look what they did with that. They mandated that. They had, And they started nipping this in the bud very early before we knew we were going to have to have a vaccine or not. We didn't know. They knew what they were doing all along. It's that corruption. If ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine really didn't work at all, like, and again, like Alex is, is saying there, we, then let it go. Let, it, let the proof be out there. The fact that Big Pharma had to attack these specifically way in advance in a way that was just flat out weird. And again, clamming up doctors, threatening them, taking their licenses away. That doesn't make sense for a medicine that doesn't work. It doesn't, there's only one reason for it. And it's very, very bad. And it's that level of corruption that Dr. Corey talked about. He just scratched the surface of it. Well, the rest now, folks, it's up for you to decide what you think. Um, we tried to give everybody, I think uh, at the end, I think Dr. Corey spoke for maybe 14 more seconds than Alex did. So uh, we, we tried to make it as absolutely fair as we possibly could so that two individuals that we have uh, repeatedly on this show the last few years introduced and held up to you uh, as, as, per, as uh, purveyors and seekers of truth, uh, people that are trying to do what is right uh, for the, their fellow man in the common good in the midst of much of the rest of the system that was not. Um, and now they have an irreconcilable difference on a, on a key part of this conversation. So we tried to give them as fair of a hearing as possible so you could hear each of them out as thoroughly and unfettered as possible. And now really it's up to you. And then you heard what Todd and Aaron's reaction was. And the next reaction is yours. You are free to have any reaction that you would like. Next segment of the show. If you follow us on Truth Social, at Real Steve Dace there, if you follow us at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social, you'll get to ask me any question you like. It'll be time for our weekly Ask Me Anything. No subject is off limits. And remember, there is no such thing as a stupid question, just stupid people who ask questions. And we'll find out if you're one of them next. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. And don't forget, we still have overtime. We're going to tape that for all of our Blaze TV subscribers coming up after today's show. Our old friend, Kyle Lamb, who, uh, well, he was working in Governor DeSantis's office. He's working for the Florida GOP now. Uh, but he put out a poll question that I thought was very interesting. And we are going to debate the question itself as well as the results. That's coming up in our overtime today. What is more dangerous? Stupid people or people who pretend to be stupid. This is, frankly, this is one of the most important questions of this era, is this debate, straight up. That's why we're giving it its own segment in our overtime today. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, that is, you'll get to see it later today at blazetv.com slash dace. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you want to hear us and see us uh, discuss that and all of the other exclusive content we do for you each and every day here on Blaze TV, again, you can also go to blazetv.com slash dace. Skip the censors. 
Get our content directly from us so you never have to worry about waking up one day and we're not there. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Get a Blaze TV subscription for just $10 a month at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. All right, let's get to Ask Me Anything, an abbreviated edition, courtesy of our friends over at Truth Social. You can follow me at Real Steve Dace there. Todd, you have curated the questions. No topic is off limits. Aaron, you have the questions that Todd has curated. You may begin. All right, we will begin with this one, maybe, from Brady Krieger, who asks, what do you think it'll take for Donald Trump to admit the experts lied to us or to him about the jab juice and the planned epidemic? Sometimes when you guys ask me questions, I wonder to myself, do you really want me to answer this? So since you asked it, I'm going to assume the answer is yes. I told you last week, or maybe it was the week before, uh, I was working with my buddy Hogan Gidley, who was director of communications in the Trump White House, uh, director of communications for Trump 2020, trying to, uh, and I don't believe that Hogan is formally on board the 24 campaign yet. I don't know that he's decided he wants to get back into politics at that level or not, but we were, you know, working together on how we could reach the former president before it was too late. I'm not overly optimistic that that effort will be successful. But go back to what I said at the beginning of the show today. My Lord, small L, in my feudal economy is you, the audience. So, well, yes, it, 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 I, I would love it if Donald Trump, you know, it's been a few years since he called me. If he called me right now in the middle of the show, said, Steve, I want you on the first plane down to Mar-a-Lago this afternoon. Guys, would I go? <laughs> Absolutely, I would go. You're seriously doubting whether I would go or not? Uh, Economy or charter? I was doubting. Uh, he's I, paying for it. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But, I'm definitely in the likely. Well, but without hesitation. Is, without hesitation, I would go. Not even, I doubt. I mean, I, I, you know, if you said, hey, the charter plane's out, you know, waiting for you now. You guys are finishing the show. It's a charter plane, for sure. I, I'm, I'm absolutely because going to I was go. Likely, I was trying to figure out what it would be. I, was, I would have said it was probably like a 70-30. I just don't think the odds are very high that that call is going to come. So I didn't just make that appeal for him. In fact, I didn't primarily make it for him. I made it for you because I know you want him to see the light. And there may come a time later this year, if he does not, that I will be there, therefore forced to say and do things that some of you won't like. And at least I'll be able to say, I tried to do this the right way, the easy way, before we did things the hard Chicago way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about trying to convince him. It's also about maintaining my integrity and credibility with all of you. So since I'm not very optimistic that he will altruistically see this, here's what I think is the more likely scenario to happen. Sometime in the next six months, the Florida grand jury has to come back with a killer report on this killer jab. And, and Trump has to see, you know, it's the, watching the early polling is fascinating. I've told you guys for years, I don't care what national polls say in a primary. The only thing, polls that matter are Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Only polling that matters. That being said, I'm aware of it, and it is fascinating that Ron DeSantis ways overperform, way overperforms in the state polling, like everywhere. California, Michigan, early states, way overperforms in the, in, the, in the state polling. Donald Trump way overperforms in the national polling. 
So they each kind of have a narrative they could pimp right now if they wanted to, right? Uh-huh. DeSantis could say, hey, I'm polling in front in all the key, you know, all the key states right now. In the early states and heading into Super Tuesday. Trump can say, I'm molly whopping the rest of my competition in, in the national polling. Both of these points of data, now I don't know which one to believe and which one not to, but there, there is data that indicates both these things are simultaneously true. What you'll need to see is Donald Trump will have to get his ass whooped publicly in, 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 in the data. He'll have to see that his entire campaign is going to collapse that's what I believe it will take. With, with Trump, it's always, there's always an intersection between the best interest and his self-interest. And those things have to align. And in fairness, they do for a lot of politicians. But it's especially true of him. And so right now, in his view, there's not a lot of self-interest in admitting this. He can point to all the national polls that he's ahead in. So the data on that, the, the, the data, he'll have to be cornered by that data that shows there's no way out here but to come clean. Anything short of that, and I, I don't believe that he will, unfortunately. All right, next we go to Brian Slabaugh, who says, in your opinion, in what order do you think the top four quarterbacks will go in the draft? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson is his picks, or do you think uh, there's somebody better? No, those would be the four that will go in the first round. I think they will all go in the top 10 or 12, even Richardson. Richardson just has too many very, too many measurables, I should say. I mean, and, and his career is very similar to um, Josh Allen's. There were a lot of questions as well about Josh Allen's accuracy and stuff coming out. Now, his previous year, Josh Allen was more accurate than Anthony Richardson has proven to be his career. But you're talking about somebody that has Cam Newton-like uh, athleticism and physicality. And I can. Uh, there's going to be plenty of offensive coaches that are going to say, I can take that natural ability and turn it into something. So I think they'll all go in the top 10 or 12. I think Bryce Young will absolutely go first. I think um, a team like the Colts will either trade up with the Bears and offer them, you know, a massive deal to make that pick because their owner loves Bryce Young. I heard that that's the way the the Bears are trending. And the Bears should trend that way. This is a chance. They ha- I think they have a franchise quarterback. You guys remember, I liked Justin Fields a lot. I thought he was way underrated coming out into the draft in that class. Now, before you give me too much credit, I like Baker Mayfield a lot too, and I turned out to be wrong about that. So there you go. But they have something with him. Uh, they need to put t- a better team around him. They need to put a much better offensive line around him. All right. So if I'm the Bears, I mean, I, I'd probably take just about any deal that allowed me to stay in the top five, and I'd probably take a great deal if it let me st- let me stay in the top ten. So I think the Colts will either trade up and draft Bryce Young first, um, or I think you will see. Uh, Bryce Young goes second to the Houston Texans, and the Bears will be forced to stay there and take who they think is the best defensive player on the board. So I think Bryce Young will go first, and it'll be the first time we've had a quarterback with his dimensions ever go that high. But I will tell you right now, you know, the level of athleticism, instincts, he's a leader of men. I mean, if, if Bryce Young were 6'2 instead of 5'11, this wouldn't even be a debate. We'd be talking an Andrew Luck level prospect. This is what. So then, why the hell would I let three inches get in the way of that? I agree you know what with I'm that, saying? But that's also how we talked about Tua. Uh, well, uh, yes. Now I would also say Bryce Young 
was a better college quarterback than Tua from an NFL perspective. Did not play with as good of offensive lines. Took was asked to do a lot. Didn't didn't have the Najee Harris's to turn and hand the ball off to. Um, he had to carry Alabama a lot more than Tua did. Okay, but um, you're, there's some yeah, there is some legitimacy to that. Sure. Next, we go to Cowboys Blue Twenty Two who asks what or who is Q or QAnon and why do Democrat trolls seemingly know about it, but no conservatives I know have a clue about it. Is this a Jesse Smollett group to make conservatives look like quacks? No, it's a real group. I didn't know what it was either. It does exist. I've never visited their site. I don't know anything about them whatsoever. Uh, in fact, I, like, like you said there, brother, in your question, outside of one day when we were doing a sports show still with Kurt Schilling, I came in to do the show that morning, and he's laughing his rear end off. And I'm like, what is so funny? He's like, man, I'm just watching these people on QAnon, and they're cracking me up. And I had to ask him, what is QAnon? I, I did not know. And, I mean, how often, other than that conversation with Kurt Schilling in 2019, I think it was, Aaron, how often have we discussed QAnon on this show, on or off the air? I've had, other than Kurt, uh, two people I know mentioned QAnon, one of whom is pretty liberal. Right. So it's a talking point for them. Um, to just instantly dismiss you, you have to understand when you when you're when you're debating people who believe in identity politics, their number one tactic in debate will be labeling of identity or group identity. That's why you're automatically a racist, misogynist, xenophobic, homophobic bigot. You're automatically associated with some other group whose identity they don't agree with, so they can just dismiss you. They're not interested in any. They're not interested in the conversation we just had with Alex Berenson and. Pierre Corey. Imagine we just did this like comprehensively on every issue in America on shows yeah. all the time. They don't want that. All right. They, they, you don't immediately buy into their agenda. Then you fall into a, the wrong identity group. And so identity politics is not just how they affirmatively define themselves. It is how they negatively define their opposition. And they do this in direct proportion to what they're about to do. I mean, it, yeah, every we've the, the right has always had its underbelly. But as soon as their deep state kicked in hardcore mm-hmm. they had to make sure that everybody knew hey did you know there's this deep state on the right called QAnon?" so everybody would be looking at that and the media that we just got done talking about will carry the water on that endlessly uh, goes ahead and does that uh social media starts canceling people for any associations like that and meanwhile over here i mean that's when we talk about uh, the deep state they, they've got their whole trust me their QAnon is operating at 11. Next, we go to Jake Kotai, who says, if they were able to neuter kneecap President Trump, a billionaire with plenty of resources, what makes you think Deep State won't do the same with a President DeSantis? They'll paralyze DeSantis. What's the remedy to that? Note to Aaron, please keep learning Chinese today, a part of the show. So, agreed. You're right. This is a great question. No question about it. Now... If you're asking this question because you earnestly want to know, as we get deeper into this primary, I'm going to I'm going to push back on your questions, even if I think they're good, because I want to know what's the purpose of your question. Right. Like if you're out there, I mean, I can't believe Jeb Bush uh, went to Ron DeSantis's inauguration. But you're like, I'm totes, uh, totes cool with Lindsey Graham being at Donald Trump's announcement. Yeah. Then that just because I want to know if you're if we're if we're being honest, if we're being honest, let's 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 throw everything out there. Yeah. We're, at, we're at the degree all in moment here at the cultural poker table. We need to have every conceivable conversation imaginable. Right. Yes. I just want to know when you ask me stuff like this, are you sincere in asking me this or is this because you just want your, you, you, you want me to love your monkey? 
All right. You want me to polish your idol? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I smash idols. That's, what I, that's my number one favorite thing to do is smash idols. And I love smashing them right in front of you. OK, so if you're asking me a question like this earnestly, I think it's a great question. If it is to if it is to justify overseeing all the ways in which Trump got rolled over the last few years, then I would ask you, then why would you vote for anybody for president? Then show, show, show me you truly believe in this and just say I'm, uh, there's no point in any voting for anybody. Just staying completely out of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, to say, well, they rolled Trump. So why don't they roll DeSantis? So I'll just vote for Trump to get watch him get rolled again. I, I, does that is there any stream of logic there to you no. now that does doesn't mean though because that they because they rolled Trump they won't be able to roll DeSantis doesn't mean that either does it okay so the best answer that I would have for you to this question is twofold number one we have we have a proof of concept with Ron DeSantis we never had with Donald Trump before he took elective office Ron DeSantis is not the governor of some podunk outpost he is the governor of the third largest state in the country where more people have migrated to than any other st- any, any other state the last couple of years, including, by the way, former President Donald Trump moved his entire, entire operation to Florida. This is one of the largest, most diverse populations in the country, one of the most expensive states to govern and to win in because of all the major media markets. The proof of concept here is way beyond anything Scott Walker gave us in Wisconsin. And that was an impressive resume too. But in terms, and, and, and Wisconsin has its own challenges. It ain't Florida. We've, we've never had someone, the closest I can come to is what Reagan was able to accomplish in California during the turbulent 60s. You and I weren't alive then, right. Todd, when, that, when he was governor. Okay, So in my lifetime, we have never had someone with our worldview and this record, who that record was tested up against such an elite level of political competition as the state of Florida provides. He okay? was the red wave. He was his own red wave. That's it. And the other thing that I would say in response to this is the word I just used again, worldview. In the end, when, when Trump was able to follow his instincts, he destroyed these people. When they presented, though, a real worldview of opposition... His instincts were no match beginning on March 16th of 2020. He got rolled. And so the question with Ron DeSantis is, because I agree with you, if we're just, if we're like saying, okay, he's got a, he's got a more developed worldview, but worse instincts. Okay. We'll just see the same thing, but it'll be in reverse. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When, it, when, it's, when the contest is, is a worldview thing, he'll do well. When we get down to instincts, he'll get rolled by the swamp, right? right? The question really that I think makes DeSantis such an interesting candidate is what if we had Trump level instincts, but with the right depth of analytical worldview, if you married them both and maybe we'll go through this primary and he'll show you he's not that guy. But again, back to what I said about his proof of concept, there is a record on the ground at floor in Florida that at the very least hints that he might be. That he might be. But that's also why we have primaries. Let's, Let's find let him out. find it out. Let's find out. We got time for one more? Yeah. Uh, this okay. one is kind of fun. Uh, risky business for you says, if you could revive one leader from the past, Pope, President, General, etc., to lead in these unprecedented times, Bang. which one would you choose and why? <sighs> I think I'm going to choose Eisenhower, even though he's more was more moderate politically than me. But he defeated on the battlefield the worldview that we are ingesting into 
the sort of fascistic worldview that we are ingesting, the Fourth Reich worldview we're ingesting into our body politic. He had the foresight to warn about the military-industrial complex, about the coming um, uh, class of expert super bureaucrats that could not be questioned. And I think his, both his valor and then the, the friendliness of his demeanor I think people would listen, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think they would hear him out. And and so I think probably him is maybe where I would go. Because he, he has yeah. the receipts on everything we're up against right now. He has the receipts. Pope John Paul II. That's not a bad choice either. All right, we'll come back tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Hall of Famer Glenn Beck here, right on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.